0: Welcome, let us pray. Father God, we thank you so much that though we have sinned and separated ourselves from you, that you pursued us for relationship and you have given us a means by which we can have not only reconciliation with you, but also reconciliation with one another through the person and work of Jesus. So we ask that you would send the Holy Spirit, that as we study the words which he inspired to be written, that we would understand them and apply them and experience the life that Jesus intends for us, a life of peace, a life of forgiveness. We ask this in his good name. Amen. Okay, we are in the book of Philippians, chapter 1. Paul is in prison. And the theme that we're going to look at is loneliness and perseverance. Paul is a guy who is experienced at the time of the writing of this book profound loneliness in jail all by himself, separated from his friends, writing them a letter speaking about how much he misses them, how much he has enjoyed them and how he may never see them again by virtue of the fact that the facing a potential death in prison. And his, and his issue of loneliness really is interesting because in our day, it seems in a way like an epidemic. People are disconnected, isolated, and lonely. And that's just the way the world is. And even though there are more people living in proximity to each other, there still are an awful lot of lonely people. We tend not to know our neighbors. The Bible says we're supposed to love our neighbors and practice hospitality. But we tend not to know our neighbors, tend not to invite them into our home. They tend not to invite us into their home. And so we are generally less likely to have people over. And there is a weird phenomena today that when a house goes up for sale in a neighborhood, all of the neighbors go to the open house. They have no intention of buying the home. They've just never been in the home and they're curious. So they just go to the open house. Another statistic, family dinners are down 33% from 20 or 30 years ago. Families don't get together for dinner as often as they used to. They tend to eat food cooked by a high school kid, ordered through a speaker and inserted through a car window as they're off to the next event in their busy lives. The readiness of the average Canadian to make new friends, that's down as well, which means a bunch of people are socially isolated, lonely, wanting relationship and willing to try and have one, So, you have a bunch of people looking at each other like, I would like a friend. Hey, I would like a friend too. Really? I would like a friend too. Me too. Okay, who's going to go first? Not I. And that's the way it goes. And the church is not immune to this cultural phenomena. None of us are. I read somewhere that the average number of close friends used to be three now it's down to two. Maybe in another 10 years, it'll be down to one. And here's another stat. 25% have no one to confide in, meaning life is hard. There's, there's no one to talk to. I need advice. There's no one to ask. I'm struggling. There's, there's no one to help me. And I think that helps to explain, in part, the rise in therapy, and counseling and psychology and that's not that, that that's a bad thing sometimes it's really helpful but sometimes it's it's paying somebody to do what a friend used to do and that is listen and be sympathetic and empathetic even close relationships like family can go sour where siblings don't talk to one another or parents and child don't talk to each other You know, I read an article on the invention of Starbucks, the coffee shop. And the coffee shop, thanks to Starbucks, is the place, not always, but it can be, where socially isolated, lonely people gather together to ignore one another. So the lonely go to the coffee shop to open their laptop, to drink their coffee, to put in their earbuds in their smartphones so they can ignore one another in that gathering place. It's very bizarre but obviously it's filling a real need because Starbucks is doing very well. Some people just give up on human beings altogether. They just, that's it, I'm done with people and they move on to the world of pets. There is actually a movement underway that people are fighting to bring their doggy to eat with them at the restaurant because the doggy is my best friend and I need to eat with my best friend. Some people assume, hey, maybe I'll get married. Then I won't be lonely. I'll be happy. I'll have someone to hang out with the rest of my life. Yet, tragically, I know a lot of lonely married people. Or, hey, I'm going to have a child. Then I won't be lonely anymore. And today, thanks to modern science... Yeah, you probably won't be alone if you have a child, but you could still be lonely. More and more single women are having children, trying to cure their loneliness. I don't think it'll work. None of this is new to any of us. We know people who are lonely, and we all, we all have experienced the difficulties of being in a relationship theologically to get you to understand why we're in this state let me summarize for you the bible's teaching of why isolation or loneliness is our default state we begin with the character of god that god by definition according to scripture is trinitarian in nature one god three persons father son spirit mysterious you bet but the bible says that within the very character of god there is love, community, respect, relationship. Some say that God made us because he was lonely. That's wrong. The Bible doesn't say that. The Bible does say that God made us in his image and likeness. And what that means in part is that we were built for relationship, for communication, for for contact, for knowing others and being known by others. We desire that. So that's a good thing. And the Bible says that everything is very good that God makes in Genesis 1 and 2 before sin enters the world, with the exception of one thing. God says, hmm, it's, it's not good for the man, for us, to be alone. Okay. Because we're made for relationship. We're image bearers of God. And so God takes the first man, creates for him the first woman, and Adam and Eve are married The loneliness is cured through not only relationship with God, but within one another through family. And there's no loneliness until Genesis 3 comes along and they sin. Sin separates them from God, and they hide from God, and sin separates them from one another, and they hide from one another. Remember the fig leaves? And they hurl blame at one another. And the dual effect of sin is it disconnects us from God and it disconnects us from one another. It leads to distrust with God and distrust of one another. And that's why we experience loneliness. We're separated from God and one another by virtue of sin. That's why the world has such an ongoing battle with loneliness. It's one of the effects of sin entering into the world. So the question then is, well, how do you cure that loneliness? Well, how do you deal with sin? And there is the wonderful news because we know how sin is dealt with, the gospel. God dealt with sin in his son Jesus Christ. So, what we need in all of our relationships, our relationship with God and our relationship with one another, we need, as St. Paul put it, gospel partnership. Meaning that Jesus is the center of our relationship, the relationship between you and someone else, the relationship between you and God. Jesus must be the center. So this could be a friend, this could be a parent, this could be a spouse. Jesus is to be between the two of you because sin will come between the two of you and sin leads to spiritual death, disconnection from God, physical death. We actually die and relationships die and it separates people. So Jesus dies to forgive, to take away sin. Now we can have a reconciled relationship with God and with one another. And so the gospel is the good news of the person and work of Jesus, who is our God, who takes away sin and makes reconciliation possible. Partnership in the gospel. Picture a bride and groom getting married at the altar. They're facing each other, holding hands in front of the altar where they're going to exchange vows. At that point, there is potentially only two major problems with that relationship. One is the man and the other is the woman. Other than that, that marriage has huge potential. And what will happen is that they are sinners, so they will sin against one another. They'll do what they shouldn't do and they won't do what they should do. They'll say what they shouldn't say and they won't say what they should say. And sin will come, literally come between the man and the woman. It happens all the time. And sin leads to death. So sin can kill a marriage. That's what happens. Or, or the bride and groom will trust Jesus who died for their sins, forgave them their sins. And then in turn, they will forgive each other because they have put Jesus at the center of their relationship. And they need not let their marriage die because it is filled with Jesus, who is the way, the truth, and the life. Filled with his love, filled with his forgiveness. And a gospel-based partnership like that is kind of like a relationship where Jesus is at the center and he can take away the sin. And this is not just a partnership between a husband and wife, but a partnership between Christians It's a partnership in that both people agree. We're going to do our life together as Christians. And what that means is we will treat one another as God has treated us. When we sin, we will repent. That's what happens. We sin against God. He convicts us through the scriptures, the Holy Spirit, Christian friends, and we repent. And we say, God, you're right, I'm wrong, I'm sorry, please forgive me. And then God forgives us and we're reconciled. And so we agree to deal with sin the way that God, through Jesus, deals with our sin. That's the gospel. And it can only happen for the Christian, the follower of Jesus Christ, because they trust in him to make things right. It only works if both people are willing to commit to it. So this gospel partnership with Jesus at the center is between Christians. When you became a Christian, it was the gospel that produced faith in you. And that gospel wants to be part of all your relationships as well. We saw an affirmation or a reaffirmation by the new members last Sunday in church, to live the Christian way of life with us. New members have joined with us in a gospel partnership, which means we're going to read our Bible. We're going to walk. We're going to live as Christians. We're going to confess our sins. We're going to forgive one another. We're going to let Jesus be the one who keeps us close and connected. Gospel partnership is like friendship, but much better deeper it's much more enduring and it knows what to do with the sin problem now that being said paul is going to have a number of things to say about the gospel partnership he's a guy who should be by all accounts absolutely depressed here's a guy who should be absolutely without hope he has nothing that you and i seek to cure our loneliness he has no wife he has no kids. He's got no grandkids. No home. No hometown. No home church. He's not in proximity with people. His friends are far away in a town called Philippi. He's writing a letter to them. He has not a lot of kinship or even things in common with these people. They're married. He's single. Many of them have children. He doesn't. They are going to work. He's can't go to work. He's in jail. They're really at different phases of their lives. And he writes them a letter as a friend, and he talks about how much joy he has because of their gospel partnership with him. And it starts, grace to you, in verse 2. Grace to you, Paul says, and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God in all my remem- remembrances of you always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel. There it is, gospel partnership. From the first day until now, I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. It is right for me to feel this way about you all because I hold you in my heart for you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and the defense and confirmation of the gospel. That sounds, that's the good news about who Jesus is and what he's done, that's the gospel. For God is my witness how I yearn for you all with the affection of Jesus Christ. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and discernment, so that you may approve what is excellent, so you can be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ, the glory and the praise of God. Grace to you and peace from our Father, the Lord Jesus Christ. We have God's undeserved love in Jesus Christ. And because of that, we have peace with God. Some don't have peace in their relationships, and that leads to loneliness And it's most likely because there has been sin in those relationships. Sin without repentance and grace. But when there's sin with repentance and grace, then there's peace. Do you see that? Grace, God's undeserved love, brings us peace with God and the potential of peace with one another. We don't feel that knot in our stomachs when they call or send an email or you see them. You don't try to ignore and avoid them and cease all contact because they're driving you crazy. Grace, it makes all the difference in the world. Grace, peace, and that leads to memories. Did you see that? He says in verse 3, I thank God in my remembrance of you. If you don't have a gospel-based relationship that as grace and peace that's centered in Jesus many of your memories are going to be painful and bitter about others you're going to remember people who sinned against you and hurt you and betrayed you and abandoned you and disappointed you and lied to you and neglected you and you'll be this you'll be this angry bitter bitter person but if it's a gospel based partnership relationship if Jesus is in the center of that relationship you you have the opportunity to redeem those memories and as paul says thank god for the memories you have where not only where there was sin there was repentance and there was forgiveness there was reconciliation there was grace and there was peace new memories memories not just of sin and bitterness but memories of forgiveness and love. Not just memories of pain, but of redemption. Not just memories of disappointment, but changed lives so that people stop doing that and they start living in a humble and servant way. Paul says, gospel-based partnership with Jesus at the center of the relationship is something that is centered on grace, results in peace, and leads to new memories. And then he goes on to say, in verse 4, always in every prayer of mine for all of you, making my prayer with joy. Grace leads to peace, leads to good memories, and that leads to joy. And here's a guy sitting in prison, looking at dying. He has no money, he has no friends in proximity. He has no wife, no children, no grandchildren, but he's full of joy. That's the kind of friendship we're speaking of. Your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now, and I am sure of this, that he who begun a good work in you will bring it to the completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Don't you just love that verse? What a promise that is. What he's saying is that you and I, truly Christian, we will have a life that is marked by spiritual perseverance. In some ways, what the Christian life is all about is perseverance. A guy like Judas hangs out with Jesus for a while, betrays him, walks away. Not really a Christian, did not persevere. That's something called perseverance. Of, there's something called perseverance of the saints, right? He that endures to the end will be saved. We have a God who will never leave you nor forsake you. He won't give up on you. His relationship with you is marked by grace, which means you didn't deserve it in the first place. If you didn't deserve it, and you still don't deserve it, then it's all of grace, and he's not going to give up on you. Some wonder in their time of loneliness, has God given up on me? The answer clearly is no. He does not give up on you. He who began a good work in you will bring it to completion. God loves you and he's not done with you. And you may wonder if you have worn out his grace and the answer is no. He is that good and he is always that good. And the result is that understanding this character of Jesus is both heart-changing for us and prayer-compelling It changes our heart toward people. We'll become more merciful. We'll become more compassionate, more concerned, and more prayerful. We intercede for others, asking Jesus to do in their life what he is doing in ours. Asking Jesus to change our heart, that we would have his heart for people. He says this in verse 7, 8, and 9. It is right for me to feel this way about you all because I hold you in my heart. These same, the same Christians that Paul would round up and throw in prison, now he holds them in his heart. His heart has changed. He cares about people. He understands how much God has cared for him. And now he's compelled to be a compassionate man for others. You see, the good work that God is doing in, li- in Paul's life, I mean, he might be alone in prison, but he's not lonely. That's what gospel partnership is. When Jesus is at the center of your relationships, there will be no reason for you to feel loneliness. And I'll close with this. It's from Hebrews chapter 12. And wow, it sure sounds the same. It says, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, gospel partners, other Christians, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. There's your confession of sins. There's us being repenters daily. Let us name our sin and give it to Jesus and start afresh. Let us, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us fix our eyes on Jesus. Center. Let us keep looking to Jesus to be the author and the perfecter of our faith. He begins a good work in us, and he brings it to completion. The author and perfecter of our faith. Amen.